This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Bite Into It. Tonight you're joined by Daniel Salmon. Hello. Daniel Morganti. Hello. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for joining us. Coming up tonight, we are going to be speaking to Oscar McClellan all about Startmate, which is a startup accelerator. So if, if you've always wanted to know what that meant exactly, or if you have a little startup idea festering in your mind, um, then you should really stay tuned for that because that'll be pretty cool. We also expect to be speaking to a an electronic um, music composer, Jared Underwood, otherwise known as Battery, and uh, that's coming up later in the show. But before we get there, let's get to some news. What's coming up in pizza news, Dan? <laughs> um, so uh, on Reddit, a user named uh, Pinchy McPinch has basically done the uh, PR work for Domino's. Um, he's been getting a lot of weird emails lately from... Uh, girls named Emily and Jessica who are wanting more information from him, predominantly credit card details and stuff, I imagine. Um, And he's basically tracked it down. These emails uh, have come from a uh, supplier that was supplied by Domino's. So I'm not sure how Domino's got the information. I'm guessing through uh, their app, their online app, where people actually have to enter their details. Um, and they're sold, selling that information to a third-party supplier. I mean, um, I'm pretty cagey myself with my own details, um, and I, it takes a lot for me to upload my information to an app like uh, Domino's app, for example. So um, it's just interesting to see that a, um, a pizza company is selling data to a um, supplier. So they're and, and the supplier's been hacked. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's pretty yeah. unfortunate for Domino's. Yeah, absolutely. And the way they're handling the PR is they're just letting like uh, this guy, Pinchy McPinch, uh, <laughs> let it out on Reddit. They, they haven't released a statement themselves. That, that That's worrying. And I mean, look, one thing that I've noticed, not that I am, am going to admit to being a Domino's either, but one thing that I've noticed about their app in particular is that it is such a huge it's a prominent part of their TV advertising at the yeah. very least you know they're, they're kind of tech, they they pride themselves almost on this kind of you know technological watch your pizza arrive like it like it's you know Google Maps or whatever it is mm-hmm. and when you're create when you're basing so much of your kind of online advertising identity in being you know forward thinking with an app yeah if if if, the, if things like this to undermine the trust of people in the app, I, I, I wonder whether Domino's are willing to kind of actually stand up and say, "Sorry, we made a mistake." Look, it's it's a clear sign that they haven't got a policy in place to deal with this sort of uh, risk. It's not just a business risk; it's a reputational risk for them. Now, you nailed it. It's about trust. Yeah. Um, people are complaining that they have actually approached Domino's corporate and expressed their concerns. And uh, they've been told that Domino's have no intention to email affected users. So they're not being proactive. So yeah. unless unless people are savvy enough to put two and two together, like this one particular user has, and realise where this breach has come from, they just think that they're getting even more targeted spam and they're not sure why. And I'm sure there's a lot of users out there who think, oh, my... my Details have been released. I'm not sure how. This is really bad. I think it's it's pretty important for companies when this happens to to share 
um, yeah. with their with their users. This user has uh, contact. He's been uh, in contact with other people, and Domino's let him know that other people have contacted him. Their policy is they should con- t- contact us to find out. And so you don't know if your data's been stolen or what, and then you've got to contact them to find out. And so, so you've got you've got to do the research that Pinchy McPinch has done yeah. in finding. And I'm assuming Pinchy McPinch has a serious, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, skill base when it comes to this kind of thing. So you know, your, your regular 15 year old kid who's out there, or maybe not 15. 30-year-old kid out there <laughs> who's, um, you know, buying pizza on the app and all of a sudden getting spam emails from somewhere. Yeah. Like, they're not going to be able to do that kind of research. And, you know, a lot of people might not even care. It's just another email to delete. You know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Well, thank you for being an excellent cyber citizen, Pinchy Pinch. We need more <laughs> more um, clever lobsters out on the internet looking after us. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'd like to... I, for one, would like to welcome our new lobster overlords here. <laughs> <laughs> Dan? Yes, have Dan we got me any- or Dan him? You. Okay. Have we got anything on the Netflix front? There is a I little, know we do. There is a little bit on the Netflix front. It's an, it's interesting. Um, and Netflix have uh, announced that they're intending on spending $8 billion on original content. Now, this is a huge amount of money and if it goes ahead, uh, they're going to be, uh, well, Netflix are at least saying that they're going to be hitting 50% of original, oh, their, their content will be 50% made by Netflix mm. by the end of next year. So that's a, that's a huge commitment to be making. And this will make a massive difference in the market where we've seen Apple put small amounts of money into generating original content and uh, some of their competitors, YouTube, you know, that sort of thing, mm. but nothing towards this amount of investment. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting because Netflix kind of almost pioneered the idea of streaming services creating their own content. And you're looking at, you know, um, House of Cards winning Emmys for years. And I mean, they haven't gone into the uh, feature length film space outside of documentaries, really. But, you know, there, there's a lot of anime coming from Netflix yeah, now. I found that really interesting that yeah. you can see they're going real hard after that anime market. Mm. I think it's because it's virtually untapped that they're just producing their own original content in there and, um, yeah, capturing that market. Absolutely. And, and you know, Netflix have form. They're able to create, you know, when they're able to put the money and, you know, for pick a winner like they have with things like um, House of Cards and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and the shows that people are really, you know, coming back for. If they're putting that kind of money into anime, like, you know, a traditionally undersourced and, you know, very popular and very cult-based um, media form, mm. imagine what kind of prominence it's going to be getting. Mm. Absolutely. If yeah. you're interested in this area, um, do check out Kara Swisher's podcast, uh, Recode. She recently interviewed the CEO of YouTube, Susan Wojcicki, and um, it's she provides some interesting insights into the investment in content on those platforms. I think it's an interesting side mm. bar. I think it, we, we could be seeing a, a big change in the balance between traditional broadcasting and uh, and streaming services, particularly in things like awards. It'll be interesting for yeah. the Australian market to see how much of this makes it into our content uh, library. Probably about the, the same percentage of us, of the Netflix content that's available in Australia right now, but yeah. let's not go. Well, yeah, Maybe, we're kind of kicked to the side, <laughs> well, right? They, but they're, they're circumventing a lot of those licensing issues because they've got control. So it'll be interesting to see if Netflix themselves with their own content take that point of view about mm. being more um, protectionist, I doubt that it's in their interests. Yeah, well, and, and one thing that I'm, because I mean, I go to Netflix to watch things that I already know and like and want to access on Netflix. I'm not huge on the original content. Like, there are bits and pieces, but there's a whole lot of stuff that I personally think is rubbish. And I don't know if, like, does this mean they're going to be pulling away from other 
produces content and kind of, you know, the things that we know and love that are on Netflix and we go to Netflix because they're there, will they not be there anymore? We yeah. need to get Plato's Cave in here to <laughs> yeah. give us their point of view on the content diversity on Absolutely. the platform. Yeah. Another time we can dream the uh, show crossover. So when you set up a new Wi-Fi network, you're probably conditioned now to check the WPA2 box. That's the box that makes um, the sending of your Wi-Fi signal encrypted. And, well, in a very simple way, that's a way of saying it. What has happened is that WPA2 has been um, has been broken, the security of that. Ooh. So there is an issue with using Wi-Fi networks at the moment. Um, there's a vulnerability, it's out there. And what it would mean is that for now, getting onto public Wi-Fi is a bit risky, probably less risky your home Wi-Fi because people have to be on the same network as you to exploit this vulnerability. Um, but it is a vulnerability. It does mean that um, people could find a way into your private devices. Have a read up on it. Um, do try and update your uh, devices where you can. That means when you've got your router, your modem, that sort of thing, look for your firmware upgrades um, and, yeah, see if you can get on top of that. I'm not going to dive too deeply into the tech. There is we a can, Wired article all about it. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a great Wired article. There's a lot of articles about what you can do. Uh, for some of us, we've got some old hardware lying around and we're just hoping that the manufacturers will still be supporting it and updating uh, the firmware. Hopefully I can't afford a new laptop, <laughs> phone, computer. Oh, you, you, <laughs> yeah. won't, you absolutely won't need, you know, new laptops or phones or what have you. My but stuff's it's about, pretty old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll run, run some old stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for your OSs, yeah. you know, with the Wi-Fi protocols, you're hoping that they'll jump on that pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, for all of us who've been holding off on the iOS upgrade, <laughs> we're now between a rock and a hard place. This is true. Although I have to say, not, I mean, this is a somewhat of a complaint just on that iOS upgrade. I didn't ask for it and it did it anyway. Is there, has there been any um, news around that? This, this could be a completely... I've heard of that happening. Yeah. Uh, someone I know had that happen to them. They denied it, denied it, and then eventually just installed on, on their own. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to do some investigation and then come back next week. Right. That. Report yep. back. We'll Thanks, report Dan. Back. We'd love to welcome to studio Oscar McClellan. He is from Startmate, which is a startup accelerator. They recently announced their next crop of hopefuls and um, held demo days in Sydney and Melbourne, where they showcased 12 startups working on a diverse set of problems like affordable housing, elite sport coaching and robotics for scientific testing. Uh, welcome to studio, Oscar. Thanks, Vanessa. It's so good to have you here. Now, uh, every time we just by the by in our news sections talk about startup accelerators mm. and Silicon Valley and, and getting into the startup space, we take it for granted and we don't unpack that term that much. But what do you tell people a startup accelerator is and does? So we bring people together that are working on something they love and we bring money, we bring focus and we bring a network of people that have done it before. So you put those ingredients together and what you're ultimately trying to do is help people be more successful faster or work out quickly that this maybe isn't the right thing for them to be working on. So it's a bit of both. Yeah, so in Melbourne, we're really fortunate to have quite a dynamic scene and yeah, lots yeah. of opportunities for people to get involved. But I think when people are on the edge of the scene <laughs> and looking to dip their toe in the water, the first things they, they see are things like hackathons. Mm. And uh, where do you think you fit within that network of, of being able to help startups grow? So we're later stage than a hackathon. 
So a hackathon, you'd spend the weekend or maybe a night with a group of people working on a problem together. An accelerator would be when you've got an idea. Maybe it could even be pre-product though. A great team of people working together where you've got, uh, you're super committed, right? It's not a side project. You're all in on this, uh, at least with the companies that we work with at Startmate. This is part of their life's work. Mm. Um, and so we're looking to support people that are on that journey. So it's as, actually as much about the development of them as people as it is about the development of their business. Mm. So tell us about some of the most inspiring uh, groups that you've taken through your latest round of investment in Melbourne. Yeah, so we just finished up Melbourne. It was 12 companies that we backed in total. It was the most successful uh, cohort we've ever had. It's actually the first time we've been in Melbourne. So we started seven years ago in Sydney and have come down to Melbourne, the quality of companies or founders in particular that we've been able to find has been extraordinary. Um, so, you know, one of the ones that we that you mentioned was uh, Nightingale Housing. So they're work, working on affordable housing and, you know, Jesse, the CEO there, it's a, it's a, it's a really big problem and she's taking it on in a way that, you know, we believe could be transformative. And so exciting to see the focus on sustainability with their developments. I mean, there's a lot of really cynical apartment developing going on out there, I think. Uh, so is that the sort of so like values? Of, yeah, no, yeah, no. no so the thing about Nightingale that's really interesting is what we're trying to understand there is how can we scale what they're doing? Because they've already demonstrated here in Melbourne that they can help create you know, incredible multi-residential apartments. Mm. But it's like, how can they do that 100 times? A thousand times or ten thousand times. That's that's what we're trying to work with them on. So you're you're not limiting the projects that you support to tech projects, particularly. Oh, not at all. No, okay. not at all. And 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 so what? Um, you know, I, I suppose you kind of touched on it before about yeah. you know people willing to drop everything and focus just on mm -hmm. that. Is there a, a kind of a common theme? What are you looking for other than that passion right. in a um, someone who comes to you guys and says you know support us? And how do you know that? You're, you're, they're onto something good and that you should be supporting them. Is, is there an X factor? So this is a really good question. So when you're right at the beginning of somebody's journey, so they're right at the beginning, there's actually not a lot of hard data to base your decision on. So unlike a series A investment, which would be later stage, so that would be when you'd be talking sort of the multi-million dollar type investment, there's a lot of financial data and metrics that you can base your decision on. When somebody's coming to you, a group of people coming to you, pitching an idea, maybe they've been working on it for, for a year or so, a lot of that decision is based on your, on them. It's around them and the, con the connection that they have to the problem they're working on. So like someone like Jessie is a really great example in the sense that you know, she, she, she's like a, you know, she, she's just an incredible operator. Like you wanna work for Jessie. Right? And that's actually one of the questions we ask ourselves when we're trying to evaluate founders to work in start, or to join Startmate. Is that somebody that we would like to work for ourselves? Um, and if the answer to that question is yes, then that's a really good sign. So how do people get to work with you and get the opportunity to have the investment and the mentorship that you provide? So often it starts with uh, a conversation or an application. And we'll meet, we'll have a, we'll, we'll have a conversation and then, then there's an interview process that, that you go through. 
So we, we get roughly 500 applications, which then turn into, we shortlist for the top 30. We interview those and then we'll make offers to between five and 15, depending on quality. So this year in Melbourne, our target was to back six companies. We ended up backing 12, just because we found so many interesting businesses in the market and people working on stuff that we were really excited about. Like, love it. Um, and I'm not sure if this is going to be like a parent picking their favorite child, but do you have any particular favorite startup that you um, have chosen recently? Oh, look, they're all interesting for different reasons. Uh, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think the, you know, I'll sort of cha change it up. Like one of the things that we've realized through the program, so it's been running for the last four months, right? Is how beneficial the peer-to-peer -peer learning is, right? So it's got 12 founders or 12 companies with you know 15 odd founders and their teams all together in a space working. It's probably the most focused and intense experience they've ever had in their lives and they're teaching each other. So sure, there's this like mentor relationship that, that is super important. So, so for example, the founders of Atlassian are both mentors in the program, um, Scott and Mike. The value though, or much of the, a lot of the value actually comes from, from learning from one another. Um, and so, you know, we use this word family and it's real. So the, the dinner we had on the first night of the program was actually in one of our houses. So like bring everybody together, home cooked meal, like it's got that feel. Um, this sense of community is super important to the long-term or to our long-term vision and also just to the long-term value that we're actually able to create for these companies. Cause it's so hard what they're doing, like it is so hard. And the best people to give advice, like specific startup advice are the people that have actually just done it. So they're, they're maybe like six months ahead of you or maybe 12, right? But there are other founders themselves. Uh, and so, so it's, we think a lot about how to cultivate that community sense to pass it on. So do you think that the, the best mentors are in that time frame because the environment is changing so quickly or is it because you tend to forget what it was like to be at that stage so quickly? I think it's, a, it's actually the, the second one. Like sure, there's like this pace of innovation, but as you move through the journey of a company and you move from like 10 to 20 to 100 to 1,000 people, right? Very different problems that you're solving for. Um, and so, yeah, it's about that match between where you're at and people that have just experienced it. Yeah, and, and you're, you're describing, you know, that, that first kind of fledging moment yeah, of, yeah. of a startup. Startmate itself, would have had to go through these kinds of processes. How do you get in? How do you get involved with something like Startmate? How did it begin? So it started seven years ago in Sydney, uh, and it started by a guy called Nikki Shavak. That out of Startmate went on to found Blackbird Ventures. Now Blackbird Ventures is the leading venture capital firm in Australia. So over two hundred million currently under management. Um, so. Startmate in itself has evolved every year for the last seven years. And this is the first year, as I said, that we brought it to Melbourne. So I've been working on, the, on it for, uh, for about the last eight months. And my journey with Startmate actually began in San Francisco. So I was working there for three or four years on a software company. And 
a lot of the Australians that I met in the valley had this connection to Startmate. And either they were founders that had gone through the program or people that had invested in the program, as in we were investing their money through, they were investing their money through Startmate. Um, and I just joined the dots when I came home. And a good friend of mine, <clears throat> a guy I'd met over there called Nick Crocker, we used to run together. We used to run up hills in San Francisco. And so when I come ba came back, I joined the dots and realized that these are the people that I wanted to spend my time with. Uh, and that's actually my, my own story. That's how I got involved. In, nice. in, in the community. So the next round that you do mm. is going to be up in Sydney. Correct. And what would people, like what state would people have to be in to apply for that? Yeah. What should they start thinking about now and, and what are the dates they'd have to hit? Yeah. So applications close end of November. We're looking to back 15 companies from anywhere across the country. We're about to head off on a national tour we're going to Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, and of course, Melbourne. We're looking for people that are working on the project full-time or as close to being full-time as you can get. We're looking for people that love what they're doing, as in this is something that is part of, you know, it's your life's work. This is not something you're doing because you think it's interesting to, to do a startup. That's super important. And then probably the final point I'd make is people that have the ambition to take what they're working uh, international. So, you know, it's not always obvious from the beginning that, uh, you know, t how, how ambitious people really are. And so one of the things that we really pride ourselves on at Startmate is uh, through success, we know that it, it actually does breed ambition. And so that's, that's one of the key things we're trying to support. Oscar, I wonder if you've observed anything about the sorts of cultures in the businesses that come to you that, that tend to be successful mm. and if any of your mentoring is uh, focused on culture. Definitely. It's a massive part of what we do. Um, so we invite people to come in, for example, the CEO of a company, called, a startup called uh, Culture Amp, which is based in Melbourne, a guy called Didier comes in and he talks about how he thinks about building a great culture at his startup, shares that lesson with all the companies in the program, and then they can um, you know, learn from that and then incorporate it themselves. Because one of the things that's really interesting about culture, it's really hard to reset it. So it's one of those things you've got to do from the ground floor and get right. Uh, another thing we talk about a lot is how to hire, how to think about diversity in your startup. Uh, these these are you know big these are key topics that we address and so for example Jody Oster uh, she's a fantastic executive at Uber Eats she came in did a sensational session on hiring a sensational session on diversity Sally Ann Williams from Google came in talked a lot about uh, unconscious bias and you know for for a lot of the, for a lot of the folks in in the room they hadn't actually you know weren't weren't fully aware uh, aware of some of these concepts. Um, so yeah, it's, so to answer your question more simply, yes, culture <laughs> is super important. Glad to hear it, very glad to hear it. Um, there was uh, one particular company from your last round called mm. The Big Crunch. And being, Simon. Yeah, being a data nerd myself, yeah. I was particularly curious about them. Could you tell us a bit about uh, what they do? Yeah, so Simon's business is super interesting. Imagine, uh, so picture YouTube, YouTube is, is, is great for video. 
Simon is building the YouTube for data. So you have a website and currently many of the numbers on that website are dead. They sit there, they're inert. Imagine the internet with all of those numbers interconnected, a little bit like the way YouTube is able to connect video across multiple pages on the internet. This is a really big idea. Mm -hmm. And we invested in Simon. So he was the former CTO of MYOB. Mm -hmm. We invested in Simon, uh, obviously off the back of his own sort of track record, but then just also in the sort of audaciousness of this concept of this idea. Like imagine if he's right. Like imagine if you can actually create this and bring this to the world, how extraordinary that would be. Mm. And, and so that's, you know, that's huge. Um, it's really exciting. I love the idea that you're so passionate about what you do at Startmate, that you can actually pitch for all of the companies who are involved. Is that because you've been pitched at so many times along the, the journey? Yeah, we do a lot of pitching. There's yeah. a lot of pitching. Pitching and refining of pitches. Right, in both ways. We actually worked with a, with a, a speech coach from NIDA called Jenny. Jenny was remarkable. We'd never done this before. Jenny came in and taught us how to talk. And yeah, we did this in preparation for Demo Day, which was last week. You know, so, you know, it's not talking publicly is actually not a natural thing for many people. Uh, it's incredibly scary. And so we worked with her and she, uh, just some of the transformation that we saw in that three week period was huge. I just think particularly of this guy called Shake, who's the CEO of FlixSense. They're a, a sports analytics company using machine learning or actually machine vision to analyze cricket and soccer. Super interesting, just done a paid pilot with Cricket Australia, uh, Love Shake. He, you know, he's originally from India. So English, second language, he brought it. Like he learned how to pitch his business uh, across that three week period. And, you know, it's setting him up hopefully to, to raise a pretty significant investment round over the next, uh, well, probably taking him around four months. And when your company is called something like FlixSense, you really do need a little elocution you, you help. You need a little help. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you can get. Yeah. In fact, we'd love to hear a bit of Jenny around here, <laughs> <laughs> hiding ourselves away in a studio, forgetting there's mics in front of us, <laughs> if only. Look, um, Oscar, it's been tremendously interesting hearing about your journey. Mm. And uh, I know that there'd be a lot of people curious out there and interested in getting involved. And um, do they have to be based in Sydney to get no. involved in the next round? No, no, that's the point. It's national. So you can be anywhere in the country. If you're in Melbourne, like get involved. Uh, go to our website, which is, we'll get, or oh, I can just do it, www.startmate.com.au. Uh, and the other way, and I reckon this is actually better, follow us on Twitter, because that's where everything happens. Uh, and for those that are interested, you know, that, that's a great way to, to, to stay connected. Thanks for tuning in this evening. We're about to speak to Battery, otherwise known as Jared Underwood. He is a game music composer for iOS and Android games. You might have heard of games like One More Line and Thumbdrift. And he's also the purveyor of beautiful electronic sounds. We just heard some of them with his tune Jump Down, which was for a game soundtrack to One More Jump. Welcome to the show, Jared. Hello, hey, how's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, really well, thanks. Thanks for um, for being here with us virtually. You are going to be in Melbourne soon, and uh, our, our games expert, Dan, here, has a few questions for you, actually. Uh, yeah, so, okay. um, yeah, you're, uh, you produce video game soundtracks, so how does that inform uh, your stage performance? Well, um, I mean, aesthetically, 
my original music actually sort of sounds a little bit gamey as it is. Um, the game developer I, I uh, worked with for One More Line originally heard my uh, original music for Battery and um, that's how he got me involved to work on um, six games with that game dev. So, um, yeah, it sort of sounds a bit gamey and I also play a few of the um, tracks from the games that I've written the soundtracks for in my live show. Cool. So it's a little bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You were play, playing music that sounded video gamey, then you started working in video games. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you're playing with uh, Jamatar, who he uses repurposed Game Boys, uh, correct? Is there anything uh, like any instruments yeah. or equipment that you use like that on stage? Well, I sometimes use bits of a PlayStation drum kit, like trigger pads and things. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I use a little um, gadget, a sound art gadget that I got in LA that sort of sounds like an 8-bit sort of game game sort of sounds, which is fun, yeah. But Jamatar does use a Game Boy on stage, and um, that should be really exciting to see, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, how long have you been performing this type of music? Sorry, what was that? Uh, how long have you been performing this type of music? Oh, this type of music? Well, my solo project Battery's been going for about five or six years. So I've played it all over the place at little festivals in Sydney and even at the Opera House supporting um, Gang Gang Dance, which are they're kind of a little bit electronic psychedelia from uh, New York. So it's been going for quite a while, yeah. Cool. And and did, did you jump straight into the chiptune world or did you start in like a different genre and kind of discover it and then move into it? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that I'm really chiptune. I mean, it's inspired by, you know, glitchy electronic music. Um, it's not... Um, it's not sort of pure chip tune, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like my aesthetic is is for music that sounds sort of quirky and energetic, and you know, and and just lots of fun and you know, sort of humour in it as well, and funny sort of vocal samples and things like that. Yeah, Jared, I wondered, do you take a programmatic approach to any of your tune development at all? Like when you're piecing, you know, the architecture of a song together, are you thinking about like loops and, and other things like that? Um, for the games, there's all sorts of, um, is that what you mean? Oh, I'm just just interested in, in either way, in any of the music that you, you make. Well, for the games, there's certain sort of strategies that you have to employ, like, you know, you have to write menu loops and you have to create things in a menu loop. It loops around smoothly and you might have to sort of compose certain things to work for the game, um, you know, like win and fail things. But for my original music, it's sort of just like writing pop music in a way. It's just, you know, come up with a an arrangement. Um, you know, it, it might not... For, for me, it's not usually loops, although because um, I like to play everything you know, at some point live, but the live show has got um, a sampler with, you know, loops and things, you know, like a lot of electronic musicians do these days To because it's just one person, it's just me performing on stage, so I have to have quite a lot of technology to be able to perform full-sounding tracks just with one person. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Is there, um, is there any game in particular you take a, a particular um, influence from, like a Super Mario, perhaps, or something like that? No, not not particularly. Um, uh, I mean, I take a lot of inspiration from 
just electronic music in general and some of the game music composers in the indie world. Like I've quite liked Disaster Peace and Austin Wintry and um, oh, Austin Wintry's amazing. Jake Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, dif- different um, artists. But I mean, I'm also inspired by artists that sound a little bit gamey, like <laughs> Aphex Twin or <laughs> Caribou or Ratatat. I mean, those are the bands that I love, and I've been able to see Apex Twin and Battles and oh. Caribou before live. So yeah, that was yeah. So yeah, that, some great that's acts kind of there. Inspiration. Look, pretty impressed to yeah. see that you've supported Chibo Maddo too. Big fan. Oh, great! Yeah, that was a lot of fun. They, they've got a real cult following. Um, they were really, really cool. Um, yeah, that was in Sydney at the Oxford Arts Factory. So um, yeah, I've mostly played in Sydney because I'm from Sydney. Um, I'm, but um, I've never actually played my battery show in Melbourne before, so that's why I was excited to um, sing as I was going to be down there um, talking about my game music composition at GCAP, the big conference. I thought that I'd book a gig. So I yeah, I booked a gig at the Gasometer upstairs, um, and that's why I've got um, Jamatar, who is a, a friend that I met down in Melbourne at another gaming conference. So he'll be playing, and also Emma Fox, another awesome... Um, electronic musician uh, from Melbourne. So, and that's on the twenty sixth. <laughs> cool. Of and, and, October. Yeah. And and so, what what kind of stuff are you going to be covering in your GCAP talk? Well, at GCAP, so that's um, Game Connect Asia Pacific. It's um, it's a it's a conference that's just a few days before PAX, which is another huge um, gaming conference. So I'll be at GCAP. I'm one of the speakers. Um, I'm speaking with my good friend Ash Ringrose from SNG, SMG Studios, which is the game developer who I worked with writing the music that you just heard previously, and also in conjunction with Primo Games, which is a Melbourne game developer. So that was uh, that that music that you heard just before. So we'll be talking about how we um, how I collaborate uh, as a composer with a game developer, and some of the sort of uh, you know strategies and approaches and even funny sort of like banter between us um you know like getting the brief right and and things like that and you know some some sort of early beta footage and um showing the progression of how the soundtrack works with a game so that's what we'll be talking about at, at gcap yeah awesome um and I, I i personally spoke with a guy named Fa- fabian malabello who started up a um record label called Boss Battle Records um, and his aim is to release um, video game soundtracks independently of video games. Is this something that uh, you could get into or that you um, you can see yourself uh, signing up with? Well, um, actually I already do. I uh, haven't met Fabian yet but I hope to meet him at GCAP. Um, we've been talking on email but um, yeah, that sounds cool, Boss Battle, Boss Battle Records. I actually already... In- release all my music for the games on Bandcamp and it's even up on like the latest one Thumb Drift which is a car racing game there's six tracks on Spotify and Apple Music that people can just stream and listen to and there's other games that I've done done in previous years like One More Line um, which is on Bandcamp and SoundCloud that people can can check out there yeah cool um one, one. Uh, going back just quickly to uh, bef- uh, the, I don't want you to ruin what what's going to be on your in your talk at GCAP, but I'd be interested in finding out, as part of the process of collaborating with a game developer, are you like developing the music in tandem as they are creating the game, or is it something where they they give you an almost finished game and then you create music to match the mood of how you feel the game is? 
Oh, uh, yeah, there's a few different approaches. Um, it sometimes, with some games, they do them really quickly. Um, like, all of the games I've done are mobile games, so some of them have just been a, a, just a one sort of, one idea, you know, it hasn't been multiple levels, but two of them, two of them have had six levels. So with the more simple games, I get a beta and I play it um, on my phone. Um, they send it to me via test flight, uh, an app where you can test things out, um, where you get invited to it. And so I play it and then, you know, we talk about the brief and I sort of, yeah, we sort of talk about references and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so, so that's how it works, really. Nice. Well, yeah. we're <laughs> so looking forward to having you in town for uh, Melbourne International Games Week. Uh, we've been speaking to Jared Underwood, who's also known as Battery, with an I-E at the end. Battery, if you want to look him up. Um, Jared, we're sure you're going to have a great time at the Gasso. It's a fantastic venue and uh, really good sound. So all the best for your gig there. If listeners are interested in getting along, uh, they can catch Battery down from Sydney with uh, Emma Fox and Jamatar. On uh, 26th of October, Thursday at 7.30pm. So do get along to that. Thanks, Jared. Thanks very much for having me. Dan Morganti, as our resident games expert, what's going on in Humble Bundle world? Okay, so Humble Bundle is a bundling, a games bundling uh, website that allows you to, uh, it's basically pay what you want for video games I'll offer um, different packages of different games um, and a percentage of their sales go to charity so they choose the charity you get to choose what percentage of uh, your payment goes to the website Humble Bundle uh, the charity and the developer um, so there's like sliders that you can do but Recently, Humble Bundle has been purchased by uh, IGN, which is a games media network. Um, it's it's probably like the most pedestrian games media website. It offers um, very basic overviews of video games and gives a, a generally very appreciative score um, of the um, of any video game that's um, reviewed. But there comes this um, kind of conflict of interest that a um, company like IGN would buy Hubble Bundle, which is so tied into uh, charity um, and uh, basically developer support. Because it's a gaming media outlet, uh, Humble Bundle is a, um, a uh, not a developer, a publisher as well. They have uh, published a few indie titles, which, mm. you know, there's only a few indie titles, but still they're, they're still speaking and publishing for a... Um, for a company, so there could be a conflict conflict of interest when uh, re, um, reviewing games or even just the the charities as well that they um, that they donate to, and I, I um, would hate to see the humble bundle. Um, change its format um mm. yeah i'm a huge yeah. fan of the humble humble bundle because i, I particularly like indie games yeah. and uh it's a great way to get a, a snap a, like a little taster of things and discover things that you wouldn't otherwise because you often buy with maybe one particular game in mind that really grabs you and then it's something else in the bundle that really captures your imagination and yeah, just surprises absolutely. you yeah there, um, like i've been subscribing to the monthly so every month there's um that's probably the most value for money bundle that they offer you pay uh, I, it's like twelve dollars uh, US because they only deal in US currency, um, and they have a, a headline game, which is uh, a not so uh, not so recent game. So the last one was uh, Tomb Raider, 
uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, the remake, um, which is about a year and a half old, I think. Um, and then they offer a, a bunch of smaller indie titles as well. So, um, yeah, Humble Bundle is great for like good bargains and uh, promoting uh, lesser known uh, developers like at, actually at the moment there's the humble Aussie bundle so oh, really? Australian developers uh, have gotten together the the three tiers so there's um, stuff from Tin Man Games which are uh, Love Tin Man Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the Witch of Warlock of Fire Top Mountain, uh, a few others. There was Hacknet, I think, which is um, uh, a song that's um, on the label for the Fabian Malabello God Mode. Um, and a few others. And then that's topped up with Armello, which is from League of Geeks. Um, yeah, Trent which, Custers and his crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah we absolutely. had Trent in the other week to chat yeah. about... Uh, International Games Week. Yeah, so that's a current bundle on it, humble bundle at the moment. Very nice. Cool. Hey, so I thought we might cover some opportunities. Um, if you're interested in helping transform uh, the news industry, there's a Google News Lab uh, fellowship at the ABC. So this is a really interesting opportunity. Um, so the they're pretty much looking for the next generation of journalists working to inform, engage and inspire people around the globe. That's their pitch to you. Um, so you have to know your way around tech and data. Um, you've got to be interested in collaborating with journalists and you could find yourself in one of Australia's best newsrooms and have the opportunity to connect with some of the world's top technologists at Google's headquarters. So that's off in Mount View, California. So in partnership with Google News Lab and the Walkley Foundation, ABC News is looking for two creative technologists to work on telling important stories and solving problems in the newsroom. It's a really interesting opportunity. Um, the applications close Sunday the 22nd of October at 5pm. Um, successful applicants will be offered roles by November 15th. So if you have just been dying for an opportunity to do a data-informed role at a, at a newsroom and be the next Mona Shalabi, and if you don't know her, look her up. She's New York Times data journalist, amazing. Mm -hmm. um, this is your opportunity. Uh, do check it out. It's on the Walkley Foundation website if you need to find out more, but we'll try and tweet it out after the show as well. Mm. Melbourne International Games Week is on now. Uh, this this Sunday, uh, uh, Acme, the Australian uh, Centre for the Moving Image down at Federation Square, is having a Family Sunday for Melbourne International Games Week. So for Mario and friends, you can head uh, take your family down and join in some celebration for the classic eight bit characters. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, there'll be Mario Kart. There'll be uh, one two switch on the giant light well screen. Um, mini mini Mario's and young Yoshi's come dressed as your favourite character. There'll be a, uh, an awards ceremony for your costumes at 2.30. So make sure you get down before then and like ce celebrate uh, all that is amazing about uh, game the games we used to play when we were kids. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. And other events, uh, Laneway Learning are hosting a Bitcoin for Beginners on cryptocurrencies class. That will be coming up on November the 14th from 8 till 9.15pm. Do check it out on melbourne.lanewaylearning.com. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.